Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. El centro para la casa. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly, goodly morning, I think. I mean... It is goodly morning, I think. Yeah, we won. The Premier League season is over. It's over. That was my that was my key takeaway from the goodliness of, of that greeting. It's, it's the Premier League season is over, and that, considering what happened, is a goodly thing. We do have to make some reference to the noise in the background here. Yes, that is... Um, I've hired a man to saw Mike Dean's arms and legs off. <laughs> uh, and he's doing it in the garden right now. Right. Uh, tough old, tough old big, job, I'd say. Yeah. I'd say he's a, he's a right leathery little cunt. Yeah, I mean, that was extraordinary, I thought, that moment. Before we get into the game itself, his uh, contempt for being overruled by VAR. Uh, on what was the a really blatant penalty? What is it they say? What is it they say? Injected into my veins? Is that the thing? That's yeah. that's what it that's felt what the like. Kids are doing. Yeah, I looked at his face and I laughed, and then I looked at it again and I laughed some more. Um, it was glorious, and what was amazing about it was he was wrong. You know, we, we keep hearing this stuff about VAR, don't we? About how. It can only be used when there's a clear and obvious error. Like, mm-hmm. Aubameyang's toe being offside would not be considered a clear and obvious error if they'd managed to disallow the goal for that. We would have been up in arms about it because, you know, how could that be construed as a clear and obvious error? But when a central defender clatters into the back and the head and the neck of a striker in the box and does not get the ball and the referee just plays on, that is a clear and obvious error. I watched it in real time. You know the way sometimes you can look at an incident and you go, ooh, that looks like a penalty and replays um, show you that perhaps you're not right. I felt like it was a penalty in real time. And the minute I saw the first replay, I was like, well, that has to be a penalty. How could it not be a penalty? Okay. How <laughs> could it not? The delay was them going, how are we going to tell Mike D? I told <laughs> <laughs> I told you this story before. I was playing football once and um, the the opposition defender, he elbowed our striker in the face right in the face, in the box, and the ref just played on. And we were all going, ref, ref, what the fuck? Uh, what's going on here? And he played on, and at halftime, uh, I, I had a word with him. I was the captain, and I said, how, how was that not a penalty? And he turned around to me and he said, I just couldn't believe what I saw. That was the reason I didn't give the penalty. I just couldn't believe yeah. what I had seen. So it might have been something like that, perhaps, from the VAR point of view. It took them that long. It's like, well, I'm... 
is it, are we missing something? It's so obviously a penalty. Perhaps we're missing something here. I, I think maybe, and just how early it was in the game as mm. well. You know, it's almost like the officials had to sort of warm into it. Uh, it was very, very odd. Crazy from Dawson, I think mm. it was. Uh, and I guess that's what happens if you get players too hyped up. You know, maybe he went out there a bit aggressive and mm. paid uh, uh, the appropriate price. But yeah, ridiculous from Mike Dean. And actually, like quite sort of counter... Unhelpful, you know, mm. to what the officials are trying to do. I mean, you, the last thing they need is referees on the pitch visibly kind of showing contempt for VAR. <laughs> uh, as much as I don't like VAR myself, yeah, that is so petty and ridiculous. Of yeah, it. there's a professional responsibility, I guess. And, and the fact that he had a face, you know, he knew that he'd been overruled. He had to give Arsenal a penalty, something he really doesn't like doing. Uh, you know, he, it's not something that happens that often under Mike Dean. Mm. And he, he was basically chastised and overruled by the faceless goons in Stockley Park on television in front of millions of people. He will have hated every second of that, which is why I loved it. I loved well, it. I, if someone could put that in bottle form and make a fragrance out of it, I would wear it every day. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but I think anyone with an ounce of sense uh, should have put their house effectively on a Watford at some point getting a penalty in that game. Yeah. I mean, given us one begrudgingly, it was absolutely inevitable that at some point they'd get one. I think, you know, we obviously clearly gave them one in the end but he would have found a way yeah sure. of course with, with a with mike dean and b with david louise it's the perfect it was, cocktail for her penalty for the opposition fair, you should have known we all should have known that before the game oh my god okay well we'll come to that a bit later on but we uh, we scored the penalty obama yang stepped up tucked it away no hesitation put him on the uh on the road to a hat trick that he needed to get the golden boot which ultimately mm-hmm. he didn't get but not a great start from watford uh, like you say a bit pumped up and then I-, I thought they reacted quite well to it it was a very open game from the start wasn't it it kind of had to be because they needed the win they picked a pretty attacking lineup by their standards uh, and especially once they went behind it was like right okay well this mm. is going to open up now they've got to come at us and in fairness to them, you know, I think they probably should have made a little bit more of the territory and some mm. of the opportunities that they had. I mean, you know, I, I feel like the extent of our lead that, that we had for the majority of the game wasn't necessarily a fair reflection of of uh, the game between the two mm. teams. I thought we looked more vulnerable than the scoreline suggested, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were quite open. Of course, we played with something like a back four, more or less. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although Granit Xhaka was sort of dropping back into that third centre-half spot from time to time. Um, what did you make of that formation being our formation? Do you think there's any sort of a long-term significance to that or even short-term looking ahead to the cup final? I mean, to me, it was very similar to how we played when Saka was in the team as a left-back, you know, with Shaka mm. dropping in like that and Tierney it was on this occasion pushing on. I wonder, I, I saw your video um, afterwards in which you were sort of saying if that was an audition for for the cup final just to have a look and see how it would go I'm not sure it was a particularly successful one like Holding and Louise were were bad um, yesterday they were bad um, and we'll talk I'm sure about cup final and cup final selections but uh, you know it didn't really work from a from a defensive point of view when you look at the the opportunities the space that Watford mm. had some of the crosses that they put in um, you know 
if there were a tall, handsome French bloke playing in blue on the opposition side, I feel like we might have been punished a bit more, you know, um, which is a bit of a worry, of course, coming up. But, you know, it didn't work particularly well, I don't think, from a control point of view or it didn't work particularly well from a from a defensive point of view. I just feel like maybe he thought, given the opposition, given the fact Watford were going to come at us, if we had an extra man further forward, we could, you know, maybe take advantage of, of the space that they might leave. Yeah, and and in fairness, I think going forward, we were better than we have been in some games. I mean, the penalty, you know, was obviously a bit of a gift, but it came on the end of quite a nice move, an excellent Louise Longbourn, a Mm. decent little move down the left. Um, And, you know, I thought the... Was Tierney's the second goal that we scored? I thought that was pretty well worked too. And again, it was that Pepe cross in swinging from the right towards Aubameyang. I mean, it was almost identical uh, to the goal that he scored against Man City, except this time, instead of having the shot, he laid it back for for Mm. Tierney. Um, So I thought going forward, there were some signs of encouragement and we did benefit a little bit from that that man in the middle, that extra man in the middle in Joe Willock, even if I didn't think he had the best game individually. But yeah, the centre of defence looked vulnerable and that that is the problem Mikel Arteta has to try and solve between now and Saturday. Yeah, good luck, good luck to him. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck to him. We, we'll probably have a question later, I guess, about the cup final and, and what sort of a team we yeah. might put out. So we'll do that. So look, Tierney scored his, his first Arsenal goal. Um, I love watching this guy play. I have to say, every week I see him, I like him more as a player. I think the commitment he shows is is outstanding. There was one tackle, wasn't there, down near the uh, our byline, and you know he got really, really stuck into whoever it was. I think he left him in a bit of a heap on the floor. But I, I just love the way he plays, and I also liked, you know, the the goal that he scored. He knew it wasn't the greatest goal of all time. He didn't celebrate it like the greatest goal of all time. There was a quick hands in the air, and then it was like, okay, we still have work to do and he, he had a little bit of a celebration with Aubameyang for the pass and what have you but he he is just becoming I think one of my favourite Arsenal players which I, I guess is easy <laughs> given the current squad there aren't too many to choose from No but there is something thing about him that is incredibly likeable as a fan. I mean, his commitment in every single game is outstanding. Uh, I think he, you know, although he's someone who really does flourish at both ends of the pitch, mm. he seems to love defending, but there's also a real vibrancy about him in attack. And I think his form in since the restart has been one of the positive stories for Arsenal, hasn't it? Yeah. After a very stop-start first season, um, I think we have to cross our fingers and hope he can stay fit next year because I think that's all it is for him, really. Can he stay fit? Um, can he keep his place in the team? Because the ability is absolutely there. Mm. So uh, 3-0 then through Aubameyang, a throw-in. Not great defending from Watford again. Um, no. Nice finish from Aubameyang. Acrobatic. Um, but Very he didn't nice. have to do a great deal, did he, to... to um, to stave off whatever advances the, the Watford defenders were trying to make. It was very passive no, for the team. It's, it's a long throw. I think mm. it's Tierney, isn't it? And it, ba- it actually bounces sort of mm. around their six-yard line. I mean, how time to then control it and and execute the volley. It's a brilliant finish, uh, but you shouldn't really be permitted to do that in no. the Premier League and no. that close to goal. It's, it felt like something we might do. Yes, exactly. So we're 3-0 up after 33 minutes and... Game over. Game over. Game over. For any sensible team, game over. (laughs) But... 
but Arsenal gonna Arsenal. Uh, anybody who's watched yeah. us, you know, this season or in recent times will know that even a three nil lead is is not enough. The penalty, um, David Luiz having a hack at Danny Welbeck after Welbeck had uh, poked a shot, which Martinez saved. Um, mm. I mean, the the stat that he's conceded five penalties this season. Nobody has ever conceded as many penalties in a season, yeah, ever. Sure. How, <laughs> why, what, when... Um, it's nice for us to have something to celebrate. Do you know what I mean? To be... Record, record breakers. Hold, winners in something. Mm. Yang didn't get the golden boot, but Louise got the brown... What is it? The brown boot? or so, I don't know. What would you the go, yellow what, boot? What would you give uh, if the, the, the goal scorer gets a golden boot? What would you give the person who concedes the most penalties. And before you answer that, I'll just tell people that you've moved, not house, but moved from one room in the house to another room. So you're going to sound different and a little bit echoey. Hello. Hi. I'm in in my echo chamber. Hello. (laughs) I'm in my cave, Mm. uh, my podcast cave. Uh, What would I give? I don't know. I mean, a golden yellow card, a golden whistle. I don't know. What would you give him? A new contract? No. I was going to say the sack. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But there you go. Um, I've got questions about centre-halves later on uh, in this show. Really? But we're so well-stocked and so comfortable in that position. I know, I know. What on earth are we going to... What are we going to even try and discuss when it comes to central defenders? But look, he gave away the penalty. Troy Deeney scored the penalty. 3-1... Halftime 3-1, and I was... I was desperate for him to miss that, by the way, of course. Yeah, of course, but look, I, I was also desperate for Granite Xhaka to come off at halftime. Really, right. really worried that Mike Dean... Uh, this is the noisiest podcast I think we're ever going to have. I know, well... They're still sawing, still sawing his arms. I just thought that given Xhaka got a yellow card for something silly, did you see Lacazette having a word with him as well? Just like, shh, stop. Um, I felt I like... That, actually. Yeah, well, because he was saying stuff to Mike Dean and Lacazette was going, stop, don't... And then he got the yellow card and Lacazette had words afterwards, which was like, don't do anything stupid. We need you for the cup final uh, on Saturday. So I was worried about Xhaka, but I guess it shows how much Arteta trusts Granite Xhaka that he left him on the pitch uh, mm. for the entire 90 minutes, knowing he was on a, a yellow card and knowing uh, another yellow card or, or a moment where he just lost his head very slightly could result in him missing the final. I think it is partly that. I think it's also partly just how important he's become to this team. I mean, when you take him out of it, it feels like any kind of semblance of structure disappears with it. And maybe he sensed that a little bit, Arteta, and felt, I almost need this guy out there, you know, mm. the sort of archetypal captain on the pitch. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, he, he trod the line relatively well, Shaka. There's certainly been occasions in the past where he would definitely have managed to get himself sent off, especially given... Um, Especially given who was the referee mm. and, you know, any agenda they might have. <laughs> yes. So, uh, second half, I mean, what do you even say about it? They scored again. Danny Welbeck scored. Really bad defending, I think, from from David Luiz at the front mm. post and Rob Holding at the back post. Um I mean not great from was Class Natch on by that point either. Yeah, well, maybe. 
Uh, actually, Welbeck does something quite uh, clever. I mean, uh, you know, I don't associate Welbeck with sort of, you know, very sort of sharp centre-forward practice, but as that ball is about to come in from the right-hand side from Saar, he just gives Louise a, a bump, basically, in the back, and Louise completely loses his bearings at that point. Mm. has absolutely no idea what Welbeck is. It looks like a weird goal because... You'd never see the ball travel that far across the ground into a penalty box without being cut out. Yeah. Um, but this is Arsenal. This is Arsenal. And we had Emmy Martinez to thank for keeping it, um, keeping our lead. What a, yeah. what a save that was. The one where Welbeck, um, from close range again, just flicked it around the corner. Uh, I, I thought that was going to go in, but it was a brilliant save from Emmy Martinez. I think it's, I think it's really, uh, telling that our best players this season have been Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and two goalkeepers. Bernd Leno and Emi <laughs> Martinez. Are, like, if you were picking your top three players of the season, who would they be? Uh, genuinely, certainly Leno and Aubameyang, uh, beyond any doubt. And I think you have to mention Martinez. I mean, even though it's not been the, the longest contribution. Elsewhere, where do you look? Um I mean, there's, you know, I think there's, a, I think there's actually a case for Shaka, uh, given the second half of the season. Sure, but phew, I don't know beyond that. Yeah. I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's Saka. Uh, yeah. Yes, I guess so. I guess so. You know, even if he has been slightly, I'm not going to say off the boil, but but not quite at the level he was at. Um, you know, in the last few weeks, I do wonder if there's something in that. I wonder if the fact he's not really been used as much in the last few weeks is a way of of Mikel Arteta keeping his feet on the ground or something. Mm. Because you know, he was playing every week, he was playing every game, and then he signed a new contract. And he wasn't used as much. I'm not saying that there's, you know, the two things are connected, but I do wonder if his constant selection was a way of, you know, uh, validating uh, him in order to get him to sign a new contract. Um, maybe, yes, I don't know. possibly. I mean, that, yeah, that is an interesting perspective on it. I mean, it's not necessarily too easy to see in this team where he goes. I mean, I think that, you know, if you look at how he was playing at the start of Project Restart with three in midfield and he was talked about as potentially being one of those three mm. that's quite an exciting prospect but you know if you're not going to play him as a left back if Tierney's available now um, I think it becomes a little bit trickier especially with Aubameyang playing from the from the left wing mm. so yeah an interesting one and I mean we'll get on to the cup final but having had a complete rest on this occasion I wonder is that is that because he's going to start the cup final or is it because he's not going to be Mm. You know, in the first 14. Uh, interesting one to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be. Um, and I'm very curious to know where Mikel Arteta sees him in the long term, where exactly Same. he sees him fitting in the team. I don't know what we're going to do in the break, you know, in terms of the six weeks we have between now and the start of the new season, if there are going to be any friendlies, any, any um, you know, warm-up games. There's going to have to be, surely, in the, in the couple of weeks anyway, building up to the start of the new season. There's going to have to be some. So whether we get a chance to see... Um, where he, he views Saka in the long term in those games will will be interesting. Mm. And I guess the other thing that occurs to me is like, how much can we get done in such a short period of time? You know, because when the season ends, you normally have this sort of cutoff point. You sort of wipe the slate clean. 
it, it feels like you can start afresh. You can put in place new things. You know, this is the way we're going to play this season. We're going to we're going to train like this. We're going to practice like this. We're going to play some friendly games. We're going to use this formation. We're going to bed it in. We're going to work on the tactical side of things. I mean, I don't know how how much is going to be able to be done, how much time the players are going to have all for or anything like that. And then, of course, the, the demands of the transfer market, which is open. The transfer market is open right now. Wow. The window opened. So, you know, hopefully things will start happening. But it's Yeah, a- I mean, it's, it is a fascinating one. I don't, I have to be honest, I don't know either quite what the plans are at this stage. You'd imagine that the sort of international tours that we've become accustomed to in pre-season are off the table um, mm. and similarly I do wonder if it might, it might be a bit of a throwback pre-season you know instead of playing you know uh, Red Bull Salzburg or something are we going to be playing sort of smaller teams in England are we going to go and have a pre-season friendly at Gillingham like it's 1997 or something yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'd quite I'd be interested to see if that did happen it might make for some entertaining friendlies yeah I, there was some talk or there are some whispers about games being played in Scotland and in right. Ireland um, but I'm not. Wow. I'm not sure quite what what's going to happen there, or how it might work in terms of travel and things like that. It seems seems like unnecessary travel is probably best avoided, if at all possible. Um, you know, considering the players have been existing in this sort of this bubble that they've they've had, you know, because they're being they're being tested and and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, that will all play out over the coming weeks. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, do, I mean, is there anything left to say about this game? Uh, how do you feel about Watford being relegated? Don't care, really. Don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, I genuinely no. don't give a fuck about any other team. So, you know, I felt a bit sorry for Danny Welbeck, I have to say, because I always liked Danny Welbeck as a guy. But, you know, as a club, when you have four managers in one season... You're sort of asking for a bit of trouble, aren't you? And considering considering what they did in the last couple of weeks, Watford, it was not sensible. Although, we, you know, they've only had one more manager than us this season, so maybe we did Very well. true. I mean, uh, yeah, I feel a bit sorry for Danny Welbeck. I've got a lot of love for him, but it's interesting, isn't it? He took that decision to go on a free, and then his season kind of was incredibly impacted by injury and mm. didn't probably have the greatest selection of clubs to, to join that he might have done um, and it obviously it hasn't really worked out for him at Watford even though I thought he did pretty well yesterday Martinez by the way made that excellent save from the Welbeck back heel but he also made a pretty good save when Welbeck went through one on one I thought yeah um, made himself big I mean he, he he was very very good again I suppose the only thing to say about this game is that we did at least climb to eighth um without wishing to sound Roy, like Roy Keane, I know that's not something to celebrate, but it's a few million quid more, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Did you see um, Did you see Sky? There's a clip doing the rounds yeah. of Aston Villa. Roy Keane. Aston yeah. Villa's players are celebrating the fact that they're staying in the Premier League and Keane could not look at it with any more contempt or disdain, disdain. if he yeah. tried. He's abs- he hates it. He hates it. And Micah Richards is just breaking his arse laughing going they just stayed in the Premier League and Keane's like well, they're celebrating very funny very funny if you can find it um, but yeah I mean look 8th is where we finished it is our worst position uh, league finish since 1995 um, we've won 14 games drawn 14 games lost 10 
um, and scored only 56 goals. So, uh, wow. you know, and, and conceded 48, which is an improvement on last season when we let him 51. But, you know, you can see that there are there are big improvements that, that need to be made. So... Yeah, I mean, how does this game work for you as a kind of warm-up for the cup final? Did it make you feel more confident, less confident? No change? Yeah, no change, maybe. I don't know that you can take a great deal from this game. I think he wanted to try and just keep the legs going for some of the players, didn't he? You know, uh, if he'd picked 11 players that had no chance of making the cup final on Saturday, I think I would have been quite okay with that. Um, you know, yeah. he picked probably his strongest forward line uh, in, in terms of Lacazette, Pepe, Aubameyang. Um, you know, you it's run... The, it's Yeah, it's the risk-reward balance, isn't it, in, in terms of, you know, if something happens to any of those players in that game, you're in for some criticism. But look, as we've seen, players can get injured in in training, uh, as, as happened to Gabriel Martinelli. Um, Mm-mm. Players can get injured in games, as we saw with Shkodran Mustafi. It looks like he's going to be in in uh, in trouble for the start of the new season, um, which might have an impact on some of the decisions that we have to make from a defensive point of view uh, in the summer. But I don't know. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on the Premier League season as a whole? It's hard to look at it outside the context of, of COVID-19 and the, the break and the lockdown and just the surreal nature of it. But I'm I'm glad to put this one to bed from a Premier League point of view obviously we've got the cup final coming up on on uh, on Saturday and that that's you know going to really have an impact on how we view the season but from a, a Premier League point of view I'm just fucking glad it's over yeah me too it was fairly uh, dismal at times I mean uh, you know credit to the Premier League I was a bit sceptical about Project Restart when the discussions first began but they made it work and they got the season finished which they absolutely had to do for for many many reasons Um, from an Arsenal perspective I can't say I was too delighted that (laughs) that the season wasn't annulled because we were in a not great position when football paused and we're in a not great position now um but yeah, as you said on last week's Askcast, as you made very clear, a crazy season with so many different uh, happenings that it's sort of almost impossible to summarise. Mm. I am I am nonetheless pretty glad to see the back of it. Oh, I must say, you know, I'm looking forward to the cup final, but there's, there's that part of you that, um, as a fan, when you put one season to bed, that kind of optimism flows in and you feel like next season's going to be different. And I have to say... More of, more than usual, I don't feel that way. I don't know if it's because of the financial situation in football or at the club more specifically, but I, I really am looking at this situation now and thinking that this isn't something that's going to be fixed swiftly mm. overnight. Um, so, uh, you know, I am looking forward to the fresh start provided by next season, but I'm not expecting a dramatic transformation in our fortunes either. No, but I, I think probably if we're talking next Monday and Arsenal have won the cup final, we'll be feeling quite a bit better, a bit more optimistic about what we can do, you know, because mm. that will uh, at least have got us European football. We'll have the European football income. We will have a trophy. We'll have had success. We'll have obviously shown sufficient character and quality to win a cup final and and those are things that that you can build on um so that would that would make 
next season look a little rosier, if you like. Conversely, you know, if we lose the cup final, that's that's a heartbreaking thing in and of itself. And then there are various other implications that come along with that because we won't have European football and and there'll be, you know, an impact on what we might do in the transfer market and things will probably feel a lot more gloomy, you know. So right now, despite the fact that the Premier League season is over and you might start to think uh, about the next one, it's kind of impossible to do it until the cup final is over. Very true. I mean, it's unfortunately, it's slightly that Baku effect all over again, Mm. isn't it? Where, you know, we find ourselves in another playoff against Chelsea to kind of decide if our season was (laughs) a success or a failure. Um, And the stakes are high. Emotionally, the stakes are really high, as you've just laid out. It could feel great, or I think it could feel pretty horrible. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's a big, big, it's a big, big game. And I think Arsenal's performances in the big games against Liverpool and Man City are something to derive optimism from. And, you know, as much as Watford wasn't a great tune-up, it was a game they absolutely had to win and we Mm. didn't necessarily. Mm. And I'm sure that influenced the pattern of play and Mm. and the, the intensity that we showed. I think it will be different at Wembley on Saturday. Yeah, I think uh, that's what Arteta said. It will be different at Wembley. Um, you know, it's a big occasion and we'll have to see how we how we cope with that big occasion. Look, we've done the negatives this season over and over and, you know, it, it would mm-hmm. it would be almost impossible to to go over them all again because so many things have been wrong or bad or or ridiculous or crazy or unacceptable. There's just too many. But I would like you, if if you can, um, despite the fact we're glad to see the back of this Premier League season and never think of it again, certainly we shouldn't as fans, the executives and the people running the football club need to do a forensic audit of this season and, mm-hmm. and learn some very fucking big lessons from it. Very big. Um, but I don't want to go down that road yet. We can maybe touch on that next week or in the weeks ahead. But But if you can... Give me three positives from this season. Three positives. Unadulterated, um, just positive things. Things that made you feel positive. They don't have to be things that everybody thinks are positive. Three things that made you feel positive. Uh, Well, there are two young players particularly who I was really encouraged by. And it's tempting to do them as kind of separate things within the three because I've got to then only think of one more. But I won't. I'll sort of put it under the heading of the young players and particularly Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, who I think genuinely have huge potential and could be really big players for this football club, for the first team, save us an enormous amount of money, somewhat cynically maybe make us an enormous amount of money um, and I think their performances were stand out would you would you agree with that yes I would agree that they are very much positive stories from this season very very much so yeah um, uh, beyond that I think aspects of Mikel Arteta's arrival have been incredibly positive and actually when I say that I am referring almost less to our performances on the pitch, which I personally think have improved, but where there's certainly still a lot of room for improvement. But in terms of the culture he has attempted to implement at Arsenal and the way in which he's managed to communicate that Mm. to both players and fans, that feels like um, 
a really positive step and I appreciate that in terms of you know our performances and the way the team actually plays we probably aren't where most people want us to be and there are certain unknowns still about Arteta's capability to produce that but I just think in terms of yeah his ethos and the way that he lays that out that I think is a positive development as well yeah that's the big one for me that's what I was going to say is, is basically the big positive for me is that we have somebody who can who when we hear him speak we know he sees the things that we're seeing if you like mm. um he's not blind to the problems. I mean, there are certain things, you know, that he does as a football manager and says as a football manager that he has to in terms of, you know, certain issues that he's not going to discuss or, or, or whatever else. But the clarity of what he says about where we are as a football club, what's acceptable, the standards that he wants to set at the football club and where he wants to take Arsenal Football Club um, is one of the is basically the biggest positive of the season for me because that has been missing or feels like it's been missing an acknowledgement that things are not right you know and yeah. it's a, it's it's in sharp contrast um you know I really don't want to relitigate the whole emery thing and everything else but you know you think about where we were in November James and how bad things were on the pitch and how frustrated the fans were and we were being told by those on high that Unai Emery was doing a great job. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. doing a fantastic job. He had the full support of the board and the football executive committee. And, you know, we shouldn't listen or, you know, they weren't going to listen to the noise, right? Mm. That, to me, was a low point, possibly one of the lowest points uh, in recent years. The way that fans and fan sentiment was dismissed by the club And what we have now is a manager who is basically saying to his players and he's saying to the people at the club, what's going on is not good enough. Where we're finishing in the table is not good enough. We have to improve. And I think he's communicating that to his players. He's communicating it to the fans. But most importantly, he's communicating it to the people above him. Nominally, I should say, above him. Because I think there is maybe a little shifting of the power, if you like, at Arsenal, where under Emery, under that kind of a head coach type figure, it was the executives. It was Sanyehi. It was, you know, he was the guy who was essentially uh, the the figurehead, the power broker, if you like, at, at Arsenal Football Club. It's now Arteta. And I think that's a positive thing because it should be somebody who can speak the way he does and who has the potential to to turn things around. So, I mean, I don't mean that as criticism of Sanyehi and people who listen to the podcast know I'm far from his biggest fan. I'm just saying that in terms of the structure of the club and the person that you want leading it, it's got to be somebody who can outline their vision and strategy in such a clear and concise way with with um what's the way i'm gonna put this with the uh christ i'm trying to find the right words here i just mean he's able to back it up because of what he's done in football if you like as a player as a captain as an assistant as a coach you know what he's been part of gives him a bit more authority to talk about how uh you know the football club should work 
from a footballing yeah. perspective, rather than somebody who has, for the most part of their career, been a businessman, a deal broker, a kind of, you know, a go-between to make, um, you know, complicated financial deals happen. You know, Sanye is a businessman, not a football man. So when he talks about what, what a football club should be, should be it doesn't really connect. But when Arteta does, it does. Does that make sense? It does. It does, yeah. I think that all it comes down to is in a football club, you want the foremost voice to be a football person. And although Raul's title is head of football, he is not a technical member of staff. You know, yeah. He is on the, the business side. You want a technical voice to be leading those conversations because at the end of the day, that's where what we care about as fans and what where we want the club's ambitions to lie. So... I agree with you, Arteta is kind of subverting that hierarchy. You know, he's ripping up the org chart to an extent. And I think there's something good about that. You know, I think that the more the more we empower him, the healthier that is from a football perspective. Um, I'm trying to think of a, another one. The kit was nice. <laughs> That's probably my third. Have you got more positives? Um... Have I got more positives? I mean, I think the goalkeepers are, are a positive. Um, yeah. Uh, one I would... I've sort of hesitated over saying this, but I, I genuinely do think that the... I personally find the rehabilitation of Granit Xhaka um, and to a lesser extent, Shkodra Mustafi, quite a sort of um, warming, positive story. You know, I mm. like the idea that, you know, football can be forgiving. And that players can come back from seemingly very broken situations, mm. uh, particularly in the case of Shaka, because you know I think uh, he has. I think he's actively been very good yeah. um, since he came back into the team, and I like that. That you know, I think it's a learning experience as well for a player, and also maybe for a set of fans. You know, we we, have, we appreciate that these things are temporal and that people can come back when you, know, mm. you sort of learn to never write someone off. So I, I find that little narrative throughout the season quite um, encouraging. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, uh, it's true for, for, I guess, not all players because there were a couple of absentees yesterday um, which more or less ruled them out of the, the FA Cup final, right? Um, yeah. There's, doesn't seem... Uh, likely that either of those two players, uh, Ginduzi and Oza, will be part of the the FA Cup final squad. Which... What a clever ploy that would be, though, if this was all a ruse <laughs> and they start together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wembley. Uh, I can't see it. Um, look, uh, I think a, half. I think <laughs> I think another positive we've got to mention is Aubameyang. It seems an obvious one, but he is a positive for a team which creates so little. For him to have scored at the rate at which he scored this season is a real testament to to him as a as a goal scorer as a striker as a forward as a player mm. you know i think we have to give him huge credit for he's on 27 goals this season which is hat trick of the final 30 yeah get in there get in there so that would be no, it's, it's phenomenal yeah. it's phenomenal and yeah. he, he's not getting a lot of chances you know think of the fact that this season alone he seems to have scored quite a few goals by just chasing stuff down which I think speaks to maybe the lack of creativity yeah. around him. Um, probably his best assist maker is the opposition defence. So yeah. I think he's been fantastic. And of course, uh, that is another you know big 
subject for the summer, isn't it? What mm, happens with him? Sure I mean, is. as much as Arsenal's transfer plans are impacted by whether or not they're in Europe, they're also influenced by whether or not they, they can keep Aubameyang. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a question about that in part two, so we might move cool. on. Will we? We'll take a little break here. Is there anything left mm-hmm. you would like to say to the 2019-20 Premier League season apart from fuck off? Yeah, I'll give it a fuck off and I'll give it my customary bye-bye. <laughs> we never cross paths again. All right. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show that we're, we're what? We're, uh, uh, it's been a long season. It's been a very long it's season. It's been a long season. This question bit, we do question answer. Question come Twitter, no Facebook. <laughs> no, I forgot Facebook again. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, Facebook people, not to Facebook themselves, who are a disgusting corporate entity who could go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned, but but obviously uh, to our Facebook um, followers on there, apologies. Uh, Twitter, uh, Discord, of course, which we get access to, blah, blah, blah. Um, shall we do a question? Do you want an easy one to start off with? Oh, yes, please. All right. It comes from Andrew Allen at A. Allen Sport, who says, Louise, holding, chambers, Pablo, Mustafi, Socrates, Saliba, Mavropanos, on loan. He says, we have lots of centre-backs, but there are question marks. Raw, crap, injured, unfancied, final year of contract, about pretty much all of them. What to do? So, sort out our defence, James, please. (laughs) That is actually quite easy, because 90% of them can go in the bin. <laughs> the, the lovely new bin. Um, it is a real problem. And actually, this is what happens when you recruit badly, isn't it? You get stuck with players mm. uh, who aren't good enough. And in a lot of cases, that is what Arsenal have here. Um, 
Uh, it's hashtag pray for Saliba. I mean, is, that is basically where we are mm. right now with the defence. Um, you, you almost don't know where to begin with it. Uh, I mean, Mavropanos, we know he's he's going out on loan, isn't he, again to Stuttgart? Yeah, he's so, he signed a new contract as well. So there's Which is, you know, that's relatively smart, isn't mm. it? Yeah. You've got a guy who you protect his value. If you want to sell him, you probably can in mm. Germany at least and if not maybe you bring him back further down the line but he's probably not ready to be playing for us right now anyway yeah um, the rest of them I mean this is going to maybe sound a bit weird yeah but surely but, uh, Socrates <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> surely Socrates is has got to be considered for Listen the cup this. final I would start Socrates in the cup final. I would too. Really? Mm. I, I thought before the Watford game, if I was Arteta, I would have started holding and Socrates so I could have a look at them. Mm. And I would pick whoever fared better, basically. Kind and of, yeah. <laughs> having not seen Socrates, he, in my mind, fared better than... than than Roberts. I mean, who would you pick him instead of? Are you worried about holding? Yeah. I'm mm. worried about holding, but... And that's probably where I would start him. I mean, I think... Let's do, let's do it, right? Pick your, pick your FA Cup final team, and I think mine would be... Uh, Martinez, obviously... I think we're going to play with a back three. Um, and I would pick... Well, I would pick... I mean... <sighs> I'd try not to pick David Luiz if I could, but I don't know that I have any choice. Um, and you just have to hope that he is... The good Luiz. The good Luiz, not the Jekyll and Hyde, whichever one is the evil one. You um, want the Jekyll. You want the Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. Mr. Hyde's the baddie, that's right. Um, I mean, I'm terrified. I won't, I won't lie about this. I'm terrified of David Luiz in an FA Cup final against Chelsea. Do you remember the game at Stamford Bridge? Remember how mm. wound up he was? Yes. Going back to his old club and they were giving Got him a bit of grief. Off, Got himself, I believe. Yeah, I mean, look, some of that was on Mustafi for a terrible pass, but it was just typically clumsy, daft David Luiz defending. Um, you know, he hasn't been any good in any of the big games apart from Man City where he was outstanding, you know, and credit to him for that. But I'm just... at home is the one I always also mention, where he was also very good. Was but, he? But, yeah. All right. But, you're right. I mean, Arteta's lost his best centre-half to injury, and his best centre-half is Squadron Mustafi. Well, if that doesn't tell the fucking story of our of our well, collection, but, our motley crew of defenders, but I nothing think that's does. true, isn't it? I think it probably is on the balance of how he's played since he's come back in. And, and look, we have a problem now with, with Mustafi in the sense that he's got a bad injury, apparently ripped his hamstring off the bone. So you're looking yeah. at you're looking at a three-month maybe injury for Mustafi, which of course makes it very difficult to sell him. Yeah, um, I, think it, I think it makes it almost impossible. Yeah, and, you know, maybe you wouldn't sell him anyway. Maybe Arteta doesn't want to sell him anyway, but um, he's still in that contractual situation where he's got a year left, and I, I really felt like this would be a good time. I mean, I'm looking at those defenders, and I would, if I could, I would sell Louise, 
I would sell Mustafi. I would sell mm. Socrates. And there are three most senior central defenders. I would like Rob Holding and Callum Chambers to come good, but they feel a bit like Bournemouth defenders or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Th- <laughs> Now that is brutal. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I'm I, I, okay. I, I'm not trying to be dismissive of them, but I just mean like in the long term. Are they? Look, I like yeah, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Rob Holding, and uh, I thought there was a player of some potential there. But I'm really worried about you know what I saw yesterday. I thought he was really bad, um, and maybe it's because he hasn't played enough and and everything else. But pff, I don't know. And Callum Chambers, I think he's a good footballer. So maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him there. He but was actually good, wasn't he, for a little bit this season? I, I, was a, I know it seems a million years ago, but wasn't he playing as like an attacking right back for us under Emery and like one of our best players? I don't, I don't know. I can't. I just can't remember the specifics of everything that's gone on this season. There's so much that I've just gone. I've wiped that from my memory banks. I've I've, I've locked it away in a little box which says "fuck off, never open me," and inside yeah, that fair. box is another box. Um, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, uh, uh, let's say of those five centre halves, uh, so uh, Louise, uh, Mustafi, Socrates, mm. Holding, Chambers. And I personally would put Mavropanos in this bracket as well. That's six. I would sell whoever I could sell, basically, from that list. Mm. Like if, 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 if people gave me decent offers for anyone on that list, I would be open to selling them. I think that's true, and I think that applies across the squad, because right now there's about four players, five players, that I would, that I would resist offers for. Hmm. And that's it. Anyone else, I would sell them if the right offer came in. And the players yeah. I'm talking about are, are Saka, Tierney, yeah. Martinelli, and yeah. Aubameyang. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Because even the goalkeepers, oh, sell one. I would sell one of the goalkeepers as well. Uh, you know, if a, if if an offer came in, I would just sell one of them because, um, you know, we we need the money for rebuilding. So it's it's um yeah, it's a really difficult one for Mikel Arteta. I, can you play Socrates in a cup final if he hasn't played at all since the restart? Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Perma Saka twenty seventeen. I get it, I get it, but you know, if it, if of it course, was no. if, if it it's... was in his mind to potentially use Socrates in the FA Cup final, would he not have played him yesterday just to give yes. him some minutes? Yes, I don't think he's in contention. Has he played a minute since the restart? I think he came on as a sub in one of the games. But right. like an 88th minute sub or something like that. I'll look it up here now. Um, um, so, but you know, I... I just don't quite know what he's done to be that out in the cold like what what he was bad earlier this season I know that it's a long time ago but he was he was bad um, but everybody was bad yeah he um, came on in the FA Cup in Sheffield United was it the 89th minute that was just to get him ready for the final to give him a taste of FA Cup action before <laughs> before he steps out on the Wembley turf. That, that 60 seconds. Yeah. 
So it's going to be protecting him. It's <laughs> it's going to be Louise, Louise, I guess holding, um, and Tierney in the back three so for me. I would pick Socrates over holding, just so we have that on record. Um, I would be tempted I, by that as well. And also, you know, with David Luiz, I know I said Mustafi is Arteta's best centre half. His best centre half is actually the David Luiz you occasionally get, but you know. It's like a bag of revels, isn't it? Mm. So who are you playing at, at left wing back? Well, I think this is tough, you know. I am inclined to say that I would play Bellerin, assuming he's fit, at right wing back. Mm. And I think I would play Ainsley Maitland-Niles at left wing back. That's a big shout. That is a big shout. I I, I think Maitland-Niles played yesterday to give him some minutes because there must be a doubt about Hector. Uh, yeah. I know he was left out as a precautionary measure and, and maybe, you know, by, by the weekend he'll be fine and I hope he is. But I think, you know, Maitland-Niles is potentially somebody who could play as, as right wing back. Um, I would pick Saka. Mm-hmm. As, as the left wing back. back. That's my alternative. It's between those two for me. I can't figure it out. If Bellerin's fit, it's between those two. I know Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast was saying he'd play Maitland-Niles and Saka um, for their sort of, you know, athleticism. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that either. I mean, I like Hector and, and everything else. Um Horses for courses, though, mm. isn't it? I mean, I mean, Maitland-Niles was brilliant against City, but that was doing a quite specific job against a left-footed player coming in from the right. Um, who I have, don't know. I, who have Chelsea got coming down that left-hand side? Willian. Willian. Scoring who? against his soon-to-be club. Yeah, so he final. is someone who's going to look to go outside more than inside. So there is a certain logic in left foot. I just think Maitland-Niles is probably a better defender than Saka. And so that's sort of where it's coming from. from mm. I'm also looking at who do I... Well, let's, let's, let's push on. So I, I'm assuming you're going with Ceballos and Xhaka yeah. in your midfield. Yeah. And then there's... I can't really yeah, think the, of anything else, yeah. And then the front three. Which is the like, same front three? Same front three as yesterday, yeah. Same for me, actually. And, and part of the reason, by the way, that I don't have Saka in my starting eleven is if you if you do, I don't know what you've got on the bench that can, apart from the Joe Willock come on and run around a lot, I don't know what you've got. Yeah, okay. I didn't really want to ask this question, but we've got to now, right? <laughs> um, from Graham J. Hawk, who says, I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to be. So... He says, with the sit-off Arsenal they can't break you down blueprint being well and truly out there, surely Arteta takes Ozil to the cup final, doesn't he? He said, as much as I understand the criticism Mesut has received, he still does have the ability in his locker to pull something sublime out of nowhere on his day. And with our midfield Mm. options off the bench really lacking so much quality and dynamism, would it not be totally crazy not to take him? Imagine we're 1-0 down with 20 minutes to go. Who would you rather Arteta brings on to try and change it? Willock or Ozil. I know who I throw on and it's definitely not Joe. And that is a point that I can see a great deal of logic in even if I don't believe Ozil will be involved on Saturday. No. I mean, the only thing I'd say is I remember people saying the same when the lineup came out for the Man City game and he wasn't involved in that squad. Mm. And if you win, it doesn't come up, does it? I completely get 
where Graham's coming from with that because whatever you think of Ozil, he's talented enough to be in our 18, for sure. Mm. Um, I don't think he will be at Wembley. Do you? I would be really, really surprised. You, you know, he's been out in the cold since, what, for the last three or four weeks. He was making the bench initially and then he's just not been in the squad. And I, It's a really tough one, I think, for Arteta because I think Arteta would like to have him. I think he would like to have him in the squad. He did this interview, didn't he, with Sky Sports um, where he said, you know, I know what Mesut Ozil can bring. I know what talent he has. And then he just sort of said, I really can't say any more about it. So there's something in the background that's preventing Ozil's inclusion in the squad. I mean, I feel like we've said this for the last three or four transfer windows in succession, but my God, they have to find a resolution, don't they? Yeah. And to be honest, I think increasingly there's only one resolution here, and that is that you pay Mesut Ozil a large chunk of money and say, go and find somewhere else to play football. Yeah, exactly. That is the only solution. That is the only solution, you know? Um, it's, not, it's not pleasant, uh, and it's, but, you know, having an asset that you don't use is going to cost you more. Mm. If Arsenal save, let's say they owe Mesut Ozil, I don't know what his wages £18 are. £18 million pounds for 18 a year. Million. If Arsenal pay him 15, they've saved three. It's genuinely how I think they'll have to look at it. If he's not They're in gonna, the selection plans, yeah. every penny saved will help. They're going to pay him that money anyway, whether he plays for us or he doesn't. So exactly. Um, so good businesses try mm, to pay him less. Yeah, basically, or get someone to pay some of his wages, and we make up the difference. And but, that way, he he's not out of pocket in terms of the contract that he signed. Um, yeah, I, yeah. In, in terms of the original question, of course, he lends you something, uh, you know, and of course, he has that ability. Um, but I don't think. That's really the criteria that Arteta is assessing when he's making this decision. Exactly. It's not a, t- a question of talent. It can't be a question of talent or ability or, or creativity. You know, it, it just can't be. So I, I think if he's included, it sort of undermines the last few weeks. Unless, yeah. unless they're waiting for something from Ozil that he delivers. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it's hard, isn't it, without mm. knowing all the ins and outs. But I do feel that damage was done to Ozil. Uh, I, th- I think you know. I, I suspect that the the pay cut issue is, is part of this because we know how important it is to Arteta to sort of see that his players commit to an idea and a mm. plan, um, which you know. <laughs> I think you can debate at some length whether that's right, you know, whether that should matter. Um, But it feels like it does. And yeah, I don't know. I I mean, clearly Arteta likes Ozil and he really, really did try to integrate him in the team. So Mm. something changed. It hasn't changed back. I don't think he or Genduzi will be in the matchday squad at Wembley. I genuinely think Matt Smith is more likely to be on the bench than Mesut Ozil. Blimey. Blimey. Um, okay. 
Let's have another question. Yeah, let's... Well, in fact, what was... Oh, I can't remember what the question before that was, but... Oh, we were talking about the team for the final and... Yeah, and the defence. Mm. I mean, we sort of did that. Um... Okay, so what about... Oh, what about this one? Johnny from the North Bank Lower, who's at North Bank underscore Lower, says, with Arsenal shopping the bargain bin of the transfer market, what three players from relegated sides would you buy that might improve our team? Mm, Yeah, we did a very similar question on the Discord from Marty, who said you can buy one player from each relegated team. What what player do you buy? Um, I have to go look at the the squad's... um, so bear with me okay. one second here. I'm just gonna Let have me a have a start. Um, so Watford, who we played yesterday, right down. Danny uh, Welbeck. Danny Welbeck. <laughs> Danny Welbeck. No, um, Watford. I mean, I, I quite like Saar. I think he's good. Um, do we not have a uh, much more expensive Saar in our team already? Yeah. Potentially we do, but I think Saar can play both sides. I mean, I know he's predominantly a right winger, but I think he can play both sides. Right. And I think that he... um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have options in that part of the pitch, personally. Mm. Um, I think he's 22. I think he's sort of ahead of Reese Nelson, really, in terms of, you know, what he's producing. So he would be one. I mean, the other one... The, the one that we've sort of been linked with indefinitely is Abdullah Decore. Yeah. Um, who is now 27. He'll be 28 in January. Um, I think he's a, a very decent midfield player too and a type that we don't have. So, But, you know, he's not necessarily the right, the ideal age profile, I guess. Mm, I think probably him. Just yeah. because it's just because it's, it's an area of need, yeah, and it's slim pickings, really, isn't it? From the Watford squad, I'm looking at it here and going, no thanks to most yeah. of them. Um, They're not; they've not got the most. I mean, look, if Villa had gone down, this would be easier. You know mm. I mean? um, Bournemouth. Then I, I think when I'm looking at Bournemouth, uh, I'm looking at Nathan Ake. Yeah, and it looks as if he's headed to Man City. Um, they seem to be, you know, interested in him. And it, when they're interested in someone, they tend to get them. On the other hand, though, I quite like David Brooks as well. Yeah. He's a good yeah. player. He'll have suitors in the Premier League. Absolutely. Um, they've actually got a few players who I think will stay up. There's uh, Josh King. There's uh, Wilson. Mm. Um I think the goalie, Ramsdale, has done pretty well for them this season, although it's not an area where we need somebody. Um, Ake would be my choice, but I don't know how realistic it is. Yeah, I mean, Jesse FK, Jesse FK Howard on Twitter, similar question about buying three, buying from the relegated teams. Mm. Is Ryan Fraser on a free worth a go? Um, I would say probably not what we need. Mm. You? No, thanks. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, Johnny, by the way, who asked the original question on Twitter, he said Ake. He also said Saar. And then of Norwich, he said Max Ahrens. Oh, yeah, he's good. He's good. I like um, uh, Buendia. Yeah, he's put up a pretty good season statistically. Um, Todd Campwell, I think, is a decent enough player. Mm. Um, I'm just I just want to look up Buendia's 
uh, stats here for this season. Yeah, to see his what underlying stats and stuff like that are definitely good. You know, he's one of those players that's always a radar doing the rounds of seven D. assists in the Premier it's League. Not bad, it's not bad, team. is it? Yeah, you know, and for a team that's a little short on creativity, also his name means good day, which of course could be. Mutated to goodly morning. Yeah, very true. Uh, He's 23, Argentine. Yeah, I think he's interesting. I I think I would probably... I mean, we do need creativity in midfield, actually, don't Mm. we? Um, And I guess with Cedric here for the long term and Hector, maybe right back isn't quite as pressing. But I do like Aaron's. Mm. I mean, I hope Arsenal sort of do look at these clubs, you know, because when they get relegated, there is kind of an obligation on them to sell a couple of players and you might be able to get yourself Mm. a decent deal. And I think there is actually talent in all three of these teams. Um, Slightly more sparse at Watford, I I tend to agree. But I think, you know, we shouldn't be turn up our nose at some of these players. Yeah. Um, James Massey, who's at Wiregooner, points to a tweet by uh, someone called... Peter McKeever, who has put a tally of this season's most prolific creators in the Premier League. Um, Just going from uh, a few of them, Kevin De Bruyne, 136 chances created. Second, Jack Grealish, 89 chances created. Then you've got Alexander-Arnold. Buendia, actually, with 80 chances created. Um, this is from uh, free kicks, open play, crosses, etc., etc. It's a nice little chart. Um, James Madison, Jamutinho, Willian, uh, Ward Prowse, etc., etc., etc. And the question from uh, James says, not one player on this list, not one Arsenal player on this list. How high on the list of priorities should a creative hub be? Um, or creative player, even? Um, probably number one, I would say. Do you? Yes, number one, but number one and a half is a central defender as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, there are several areas of need, and if certain strikers leave, then, you know, that changes that again. Mm. But I, I, I honestly think it's... I suppose what's happened with Ozil and my kind of assumption that there's not going to be a kind of, you know, uh, rapprochement, like there's no, they're not going to kiss and make up, um, makes that absolutely imperative. He is sort of the only player of that type we really have available for selection in the current squad. Yeah. And if you look, if you actually look at our sort of squad building over the past couple of years... We have let a lot of types of player like that leave. And in each case, they kind of individually had their issues. So we were sort of relatively content to see them go. But it has left a gulf in the mm. squad. And, and you know, you've, we've all seen the pass maps, I'm sure, of the kind of horseshoe shape where yeah, no yeah. one receives the ball just outside the box. I mean, if you look back, it goes back to, I guess, 2018... Um, Jack Wilshire is released and you know there are lots of good reasons why um, moving on from that uh, you know the following summer we sell Alex Awobi again it's a good fee but we don't necessarily replace him with a player who operates in similar spaces Henrik Mkhitaryan was a pretty disastrous signing but he did at least function in between the lines you know, that was where he operated Aaron Ramsey 
was a case where we didn't want to necessarily lose the player um, and he was another one player who operated in that space between midfield and attack it's Alexis you know it goes mm. on and on and at some point we have to redress that and mm. Ozil stands out because he's really the only player comfortable doing that I mean Emil Smith-Rowe is one who people look at and say maybe he could do some of that yeah, uh, Arteta spoke quite positively about him before uh, before this game at the weekend. He was asked about creativity and he admitted it's a problem that we've got to solve and there are various ways of, of doing it. And obviously there are things you can work on with the players that you have in terms of formations and movements and, uh, and patterns of play which can uh, lead to creative moments. But mm. without the personnel... To, to really um, give you a kick, you're always going to hit a wall in terms of how much you can produce and how much you can do. I think Smith Rowe is potentially a player who could, um, who could do something for us there. I, I had a question, actually, let me just see if I can find it here. Um, it comes from, oh God, I should have read this guy's name before I read out the question. It's Nanda Kishore Krishnamurthy, I think. Okay. I think. And he says, which one of these two options sounds better? One, sell a few youngsters and buy a quality experienced midfielder and defender. Two, trust youngsters like Willock, Saka, Nelson, and probably Emil Smith-Rowe and save the money to buy a superstar centre-back. So slightly on the same uh, discussion that we've been having. What would I rather do? Sell a few youngsters and buy established... Or what was the second option? Trust the youngsters like Willock, Saka, Nelson, Smith Rowe, uh, and save the money to buy like a superstar centre back. It's really difficult, actually. I think that my answer is maybe a bit of a fudge, but mm. uh, there are certain youngsters that I would absolutely trust. You know, I talked about Saka earlier, I talked about Martinelli. I think with certain others, I would be prepared to recoup some cash on them you know to make some money on them given that they're academy products for the most part and invest that in uh maybe slightly more established figures i mean the thing is young players flourish when they have good pro senior pros alongside them right i don't think mm. it has to be like an either or um and a top class player can have a transformative impact on a team I suppose the question is can Arsenal attract those players right now yeah can I mean I don't think they can attract at this moment in time um, and maybe you know with no European football next season it would be even more difficult but like the, the, the sort of established player I think they have to find the guy who's very slightly under the radar if you like um, yeah you know from a, just from a financial point of view as well but also from a status point of view like if I was a young player and I was, you know, good and coming up and Arsenal still is a big club, it's got a big name. And if I was a young player sort of making my breakthrough, like early 20s at a club somewhere um, in Europe, I think I could be sold on Arsenal by Mikel Arteta and the vision that he has for the club and, and the role that I might play in that rebuilding and, and everything else. So I think... From that, from a recruitment point of view, I think if you can find the player of the right, um, what's the word, uh, attributes or whatever it might be, I, I think it's it's doable. But I don't think we can go and get like a Bruno Fernandez 
somebody who's who's caught the eye already and people are are very strongly sniffing around you know yeah i mean here's the here's the problematic position arsenal are in and it is tricky so arsenal in a position where the sensible thing that they should do uh is accept that they are well short of what is required at the moment and effectively any player in this squad who doesn't have a long-term prospects with so like uh, or who is uh, could make you some money should effectively be for sale Arsenal should go into a period right now in my opinion of serious rebuilding to the extent that I would potentially argue that even if someone comes and gives you if someone offers you a decent amount of money for your best player in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang I genuinely think that if you were just being purely sensible and logical about it you would accept that Arsenal probably aren't going to be good for about three years take that money, build by young, promising, upcoming players with a big upside and look to be good in about three to five years. The trouble is, I don't think Arsenal can sort of um, publicly <laughs> admit that. Yeah. And, I, and I actually don't, I don't know if sort of fan pressure, fan sentiment enables them to do that. I mean, Arsenal, also financially, they are bleeding at the moment and they mm. need to be back in the Champions League this season. You know, they need to be back in it right now. So in some ways, it's a bit counterintuitive. They sort of have to make, they have, they feel, let's say, they have to think in a slightly short-term manner to try and produce the quick fix. But, it, but, yeah. I, but I'm not sure that's actually the right decision. But Do you know is, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Is that not why we have the squad we have? Right now, yes, because it is. because it is, yeah. our our approach was oh fuck, got to get back in the Champions League as quickly as we can. Let's do the Mkhitaryan thing. Let's you know spend uh, fifty five, sixty Louise. million. Yeah, David Luiz. Also, uh, you know, even Aubameyang to an extent was was part of that kind of thinking. We just mm-hmm. spent fifty million pounds on a striker in the summer. We went and spent fifty-five million pounds on a better striker. Who, if we if we'd been sensible, we should have bought in the first place. You know, and also as part of that, for my money, Arsenal should not be spending what they spent on Pepe on any one player. No, I don't think and at this point in their trajectory. And look, another thing we can't really do is give a three-year deal to someone like Willian, who would improve this team. There's no question that he's a good player. But if you're trying to rebuild a squad properly, can you give a guy of 31 big, big wages because he's coming on a Bosman and, and that's the reality? It's going to cost, a, you know, you're going to be left with a, a, an aging player, a player going into the, like the final years of his career on big money who, if he goes off a cliff, which can happen, you've got no way of moving. Mm-hmm. You know, you're stuck mm-hmm. in the situation that we're in with, let's say, Socrates right now, you know, or Absolutely, or even yeah. Ozil or, or, you know, it's just, yeah, you can't keep making the same mistakes. So for, for my money, Arsenal should be sort of accepting that there's, there's a long way back and making long term decisions mm. at this point. I don't know. If they will, though, and I, and and also like Arteta, you know, I can say that as someone who's sort of not personally invested in it, apart from my role as a fan. Maybe Arteta's like, well, I don't want it to be a three-year, five-year plan. Maybe I want 
I, I want this now. I want us to be competitive next season. I'm not going to hang around. Um, and I don't blame people for thinking like that. It's just when you look at the finances and you look at the profile of the squad, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long way back. And mm. I think we should, I think we should factor that into the way we do business. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be a really fascinating summer in that respect because I agree with you. The reason we're in the hole we're in now with the ageing players on the books, with the heavy contracts on the books, is because we did make a lot of short-term decisions mm. and they didn't work, actually. Like, we got punished pretty heavily for those decisions because, you know, something like the Urzel deal, who could have predicted it would pan out quite as badly as it had? Probably nobody, to be honest. Mm. So... You know, we've been a bit unfortunate in some respects, but yeah. we made those rods for our own back. We sure did. We sure did. Um, well, on the subject of youngsters, a guy who got started yesterday, Matthias on Twitter said, what do you think of Joe Willock's performances this season? Would you loan him out and bring Smith Rowe back to the club instead? I think Joe Willock could do with a loan. I mm. do. Um the problem we have is, of course, he plays in that part of the pitch where, as we were saying, so few players do. Yeah. Um, but if we sign the appropriate players there, I think he could definitely do with a loan. Yeah. You know, he's played quite a bit this season. I think he's 30-odd appearances. Um, he is our highest-scoring central midfield player in all competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I see a lot of criticism of him um, Online, and I get it to an extent, but I think there's, I think there's potential there with Joe Willock, um, and I think at 20 years of age, um, we maybe look for a 20 year old midfielder to be the finished article, like, um, like Sesk, for example. You know, sure. uh, but players develop differently this season. Wow, how many appearances in all competitions? 44. Wow, yeah. I mean, only uh, 15... Five goals. Less than 20 starts. Yeah. But, you know, that's a lot, 44. It is a lot. And it's probably something he can learn from. And it, it seems clear that he's somebody that, that they they have some faith in, or at least, you know, in, in the short term, when there's so few options in midfield, um, they're willing to give him the game time. Um, but it does feel like he could do with a loan. To, to develop or maybe this season is what develops him I, I don't know um, I think he's got some qualities that the team is missing or that, that it doesn't have a great deal of mm. but the other side of that is that you know maybe we still need to address that with more than one player um, and we need to you know uh, maybe have a higher standard of, of the, the qualities that he has in particular the, the, the ball carrying and, and everything else um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, what I've always said about Joe Willock is <laughs> Arsenal could really do with a player of that type. Whether or not it's Joe Willock, I think, remains to be seen, mm. you know, depending on how he sort of fulfills his potential or otherwise. But he, yeah, I, I'm not done with him. No, know, I, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't sell him yet. I, no, because I actually think we can extract, even if you think the long term aim is to sell him, I think we can extract more value for him at the end of a, lo- a, a decent loan. Do you mm. know what I mean? So. I I, um, I I think a loan's an interesting idea as long as we replace him effectively in the first team squad. Yeah. Here's a question from Parlay at Parlay eighty five, and he says, "If you are Aubameyang, 
<laughs> what would you want to stay at Arsenal for the next two years, considering the league is beyond our reach? It's a really, really, really tricky question, I think. Um, I, I don't know how Aubameyang feels about it. If he stays at Arsenal, he has to be offered some sort of... I don't think, I don't think the club is any, in any position to offer him assurances or guarantees of success. How can we? We're eighth. Mm. You know, we can't say, stay and you'll win the Champions League. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not something that's on the table. Um, and I'm sure... If there are if there are other suitors out there, they're probably closer to those kinds of achievements. Mm. Uh, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because you, you know, if if we go down that route uh, route of rebuilding the way you think we should, yeah. in terms yeah. of the kind of players that we bring into the team, it's sort of at odds with what Obama Yang might want from the final years of of his career. Does he want? Does Absolutely. he want success? Does he want trophies? Does he want tangible success? Or, you know, does he want to be a guy? And I'm not saying that he doesn't. I just, I just feel it's probably unlikely. Does he want to be a guy who, who is a cornerstone of a rebuilding project that might come to fruition in 18 months, two years, three years, in which he could play a very significant role? And be remembered as, you know, uh, 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 a significant part of that and be recognized and be acknowledged as as that because his goals will be important. Perhaps his his character, perhaps his his tutelage of of certain young players might be a big part of it. Mm. But that's very, very much intangible, isn't it? In terms of, you know, what he can look back on at the end of his career. You know, he, he might say... Uh, well, I went to Spain and I won La Liga and, uh, you know, I went far in the Champions League, potentially won the Champions League with Barcelona or Real Madrid or whatever it might be. Or I really helped Eddie Nketiah become a good player two years from now. You know, that's that's a difficult thing to convince any player to be. Look, even Thierry Henry, who loved Arsenal by that point uh, and had such an incredible affinity with the club the fans, the city, he still took that decision when Arsenal weren't competitive to go and play in in Spain for Barcelona and had a few medals. I mean, Aubameyang, he really wanted that golden boot yesterday. But I bet you, if you offered him that or a Premier League medal, Mm. I don't think think there's a doubt in his mind. Mm. Um, And that's something Arsenal can't offer him right now. So, so, listen, I, I actually think... I think there's a decent chance that he stays, to be honest. But I think Arteta's, and not just Arteta, the the football hierarchy, their job, and it's not a straightforward one, as we're finding, is to convince Aubameyang that they can offer him something as satisfying as going and playing for somebody else and potentially competing for the top prizes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, what you're selling someone there is like, you are the figurehead of this rebuild. You can take Arsenal back to, you know, near the top mm. where they sort of feel they belong. Um, you can become 
a legend here. You know, I, I don't think it's too strong to say that if he plays another three or four years for Arsenal, keeps scoring goals at something close to the rate he's scoring them now, he'll be incredibly fondly thought of. Um, particularly given his loyalty in this moment of difficulty. Yeah. But, but as you say, would anyone intangible. Would anyone really blame him if he felt like well, no. the last couple of years of his career he had to pursue sporting ambitions because I'm sure Arsenal can offer him money they can offer him plenty of money but it really is about what he wants it's not going to be about money I don't think no I really don't and actually you know for Arsenal's perspective I don't think you'll get for Aubameyang now maybe what you would have got pre-coronavirus you know I think that I think that it won't be easy. I don't think we're going to be getting, if he was to go, a mammoth fee that funds a rebuild. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think given his age and his contractual situation, I think it would be probably a bit underwhelming. Do, um, do you think one more season could be a compromise in the sense that he stays, doesn't sign a new deal and goes on a free? Is that, is that something well, we can do? I think it's a big risk for him, genuinely. You know, at his age, to put that decision off 12 months, um, I know he's a very different situation to Danny Welbeck, but, you know, if he was to get a bad injury in Mm. that time, and I know he's had a tremendous injury record thus far, you know, in 12 months' time, at this point, he can probably get quite a lengthy deal out of Arsenal or someone else. He could probably get maybe like three plus one, something like that. Um, I think in 12 months' time, if he declines a little, if he has any injury issues, maybe at that stage he's not looking as as long-term, as lucrative a contract. I think the power is with him now and he will know that this is the time to make that decision, to get the best deal for himself for his future. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility, but I also don't know if... One more year for Arsenal, I mean... Hang on, James, there could be somebody at the door, sorry. Okay, no worries. And look, this week, the door music was there for people, so... Thank uh, goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, you were saying something about one more season. year. One more year. For, yeah, know. not sure. I feel like this is coming to a head now and it needs to be addressed now. Mm. Either way, really. For Arsenal's sake, as much as the Birmingham's, Um I think putting decisions off is something Arsenal have done <laughs> pretty well with pretty bad effects, yeah. um, generally. I mean, what... Yeah, so let's let's play, let's role play it. You're uh, Edu or Rasnier or Mikel Arteta. You're sat with Pierre Rikabamian. What can you say to him? Please, please stay. <laughs> please, I'll be your friend. Please, Pierre. Please, please we really like you. <laughs> um, yeah. What can I say? What can I say? I can say if I'm Mikel Arteta. I can stress to him, 
how important he is, how well regarded and how well loved he is. Um, I don't know if I can tell him that I'm going to play him in his favourite position, though. That well, if you're Mikel Arteta, you can't. Yeah. So that's another issue. Um, and I do wonder if that might be a consideration, you know, when Aubameyang is thinking about... I mean, it, it doesn't... It doesn't seem to impact his goal scoring, you know? Look at the amount of goals that he scored since mm. he arrived at this club. And look at, look at the, the general decline of the team since he arrived. I'm not saying this is down to him or anything like that. But the team has declined in level from uh, the time he arrived to where it is now. And he's still scoring. <laughs> He's Maybe still sell this guy. He's the, he's the reason. The curse. We've he's got to curse. break the curse of Obama Yang. Yeah, um, of course. And you know? even like this season, I know his, his XG per 90, for example, is lower. He's kind of outperformed that. But that, I mean, is down to the team, I think, not mm. him. If you look at his, you know, if you look at his career, the incredible number of chances he, he's used to getting, um, the fact that he's having to survive more efficiently at this point is, is on the team. Mm. I, I think the only thing really that I find Mikel Arteta that I can really say, and this might sound like bollocks to be honest, but I think you just have to say, are you happy? If you're happy and you're enjoying your football here and you like being part of this... Mm. Then we can give you some more of it. Yeah, and you can be you can be part of this thing that I want to do, which is to rebuild. And I, I like, I think there's more chance of him staying with a coach like Arteta, who does have a vision and who is demanding and who is, um, you know, going to put in place hopefully the structures to bring the club back to where it needs to go. Like as mm-hmm. a as a player, I think it would be it would be exciting to work with a coach like that. Definitely. So. And I think he is enthused by that. And at the end of the day, this is a job and they have to get up and go to work every morning. And the players enjoy playing for Arteta. They, the training is good. They have a good time. I mean, genuinely, I think Arsenal can't offer him the Champions League, but they can say, here's a challenge. Here's a way of working. You are the most important player for us. Yeah. Please stay. <laughs> <laughs> we we can't offer you Champions League, but we can offer you a little slice of heaven right here in North London. <laughs> Simply sign up for more years of Arsenal. Yeah. Quick quick one. Yeah. What do you think? Stay or go? <sighs> stay. I think stay too. Why do we think stay? I There's no know. good reason to stay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think because I think because do you know what it is? We've seen players who look like they're leaving before. Mm. We we remember that body language. We know what they look like. We know how the head goes down, the arms go up in frustration, you know, yeah. things start leaking out in the press. We haven't seen any of that. Aubameyang <laughs> is not unhappy at Arsenal. No, I don't think he is, and I think that could be that could be a factor. Um so look, we'll see. We'll see. Let's do one more very quick one. Go on. Uh, it comes from the Discord. It's from the Real Chicken Dipper, who says, Giroud is looking pretty formidable. Formidable. Oh, formidable. Yeah. He's looking very formidable. How the hell do we stop him? I have, I mean, he's got six goals and six starts, I believe, in his last six starts. He's a streaky fucker when it comes to scoring. I like, mean... He, 
Really. Yeah. When he's on the streak, he's good. Um, but maybe the streak's over. They tend to last about sort of seven or eight games, don't they? Mm. So we have to hope it comes to a slightly premature end. I mean, I am worried about it. We've lost our best header of the ball, probably, mm. Mustafi. Um, although Giroud's not just scoring headers for Chelsea. I mean, the goal he scored... Did you see the goal he scored yesterday? No. Sort of at, at the end of a kind of end-to-end counter-attack. Um, what the shit? Is he able to run now? <laughs> I don't know what they're injecting into him over there. Something. Uh, but yeah, he, he is. I mean, me he's I been excellent mm. recently for them. Um it's a weird goal, by the way, if you do see it. He sort of gets to the end of a counter-attack, but his first touch sort of slightly takes him away from goal, and then he, he effectively scores a tackle with his second touch. But uh, it's not just Giroud I worry about. It's the players that Chelsea get around him. I mean, Pulisic has been really good for them recently. Mm. Uh, Willian, we mentioned. Mason Mount's found a little bit of form again. Um, it, he is a handful, and... We all, unfortunately, remember Baku. Fucking hell, he's Trying. moving. He's. I know. What the shit? Are you watching it now? Yeah. He I can... don't know what's happening. What the it's sh- like Benjamin Button. He's sort of getting I, younger. I've never quicker. seen his legs move that fast. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. Worrying. Yeah. Worrying. They're fucking... They're, they're cooking up some fucking... Spunky stuff in Lampard's laboratory. They are, they really are. I mean, how worried are you about Giroud? It just feels very, very inevitable, doesn't it? Giroud it, versus Louise. Mm, yeah. I, or I know where my money is. I know where my money is. This might sound terrible. And probably we're not the right team to be able to do it because we don't tend to get away with stuff like this. But I kick him. Kick yeah. him. He, he fuck, doesn't like that. He doesn't fucking like it. Crunch him. He can't hurt you if he's on the ground. Yeah, yeah, doing the old fucking, the patented finger waggle of mild discomfort. You know. Who have Arsenal, you know, they all like him, right? Like Holding and Giroud, they're old pals. Have we got anyone who you think... Socrates. Yeah, that's it. I think he's the guy. He's the guy. I think you start him, you get him to crunch him in the first 10 minutes, bring him off. The only thing is... Knowing our luck, Socrates would crunch him with two feet straight in his bollocks off the ground and get a red card. I don't know sure. that we've got somebody with the with uh, with uh, with the subtle crunch. You know what I mean? No, nobody yeah, like the silent assassin of Steve Bold or what have you could just Lauren. fucking yeah yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, setting aside all the crunching, in terms of actually dealing with Giroud, stop the service as much as you can. That's yeah a the 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 first thing exactly and and because the problem is if you pin him where he is he can still hurt you because he's so good in terms of that hold up play and those flicks through to other players mm. i mean I've, we've got, seen him score some headers where he's basically being manhandled by three defenders and he's strong enough to loop a header into the far corner you know um so you physically we don't have the defenders to do that with him either um so I think it, most importantly is going to be about stopping the service. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's a worry, of course, you know. But we'll see. We will see. Hey, um, we will see. All right. We're going to leave it there. We are going to have a pre-FA Cup final Arscast Extra on Friday. 
So mm-hmm. join us for that, and we'll probably do something else. Uh, I'll probably put something else together midweek, uh, but I'll give you some details of that as well. As ever, thank you for being here. Thanks for being here for the whole season, by the way, guys. We oh, really appreciate well done, it. guys. Well, well done. done to you Stuck for sticking it out. it out. Yeah, all the way through. It took longer than we thought. It ended worse than we thought it would. It wasn't anywhere near as much fun as we wanted it to be, but it's over. <laughs> <laughs> there is always that. It's and over. It's over. And hopefully we can finish the season itself with some success in the FA Cup final on Saturday. So look, uh, take it easy. Thanks for being here, for listening, subscribing and all the rest. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.